the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan J. Warner, and with me today is another special guest, also just like our last guest from the other side of the world. These Aussies, these Australians are, are coming out left, right, and center on the podcast. We have Darren Mitchell. He's the host of the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast, and he's a sales leadership coach and mentor himself. Darren, thanks so much for joining us today. Ryan, thanks so much for um for having me on. I know you and I chatted on my podcast off was it about a month ago? About Seems a month. Like that, yeah. Yeah, and it's um I gotta say that there's every now and then you meet somebody on LinkedIn and then you have a conversation with them and it it feels like we're long lost brothers <laughs> because <laughs> it's like when you when you drop when you brought me into the uh, podcast today the, on the Zoom, all of a sudden you were taking a great gulp of water, and I said, "Hey, just like me." So I had to do exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great to be here, my friend. And am yeah. I the second Aussie in in not long? Yeah, the, our our last guest Holly, she was she's a happiness coach, also from uh, from Australia. I can't. I want to say Brisbane. She's gonna get mad. Okay, at it's the wrong city. But I, I think it's uh, somewhere around there. And and the next guest is also from Australia. They they you guys are coming out. You want to make a making a dent in the professionally speaking podcast. Wow, that is awesome. And some would say we are punching above our weight, but um, nonetheless, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Just like the kangaroos, right? That's I know, right. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so Darren, I'll give you the floor right away here. T tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. What does it mean to be a, a sales leadership coach and a sales leadership mentor? Is that different than just a sales coach? Like, how would you differentiate that? Yeah, it's a good point, Ryan. Thanks for the um. Thank you for the floor. Uh, and I won't give you the because uh, how long does this podcast go? We don't have three hours, do we? This is not a Joe Rogan sort of podcast. We do not. No. <laughs> no. All right. So, a really, really, really short background. I spent twenty years in corporate, ten of which was as a sales leader. And I, my experience was when I was made a sales leader, uh, even though I'd been preparing myself for a sales leadership position, and that is spending some time, you know, thinking about my own philosophy, I really didn't have a transition plan or somebody who was there to help me make that transition from a sales individual contributor to a sales leader. So pretty much left to my own devices. And if it wasn't for some good mentors that I that I found along the way, I would have been floundering. So um, through my sales leadership coaching career, I've tried to get people to understand that there are different levels of skill set that are required to be a sales leader. And just because you're a great sales person doesn't automatically translate into being a great sales leader because the skill sets are fundamentally different. So what's different from a sales coach is, and I do sales coaching as well, it's a case of, okay, how do we help these individual contributors become exceptional at what they do? How do they understand how to pitch? How do they understand how to problem solve? But from a sales leadership perspective, we need to be a couple of levels above. So what are the behaviors that a sales leader needs to be able to demonstrate? Rather than thinking about what a to-do list might be in an average salesperson's day or an average sales leadership um, day, is starting to think about what is the to-be list we need to have. So as a role model, the thing that sales leaders need to understand, and I've got to say a lot of them don't understand this, is they're being watched like a hawk. So they have to be very conscious of the examples of their setting. So what I do is come in and work with them and think about, okay, what is it that you want to stand for? What do you value as a sales leader? What are you wanting to achieve as a sales leader? 
And how can we help you create that environment first and foremost around yourself, but also start to recognize that what you're doing is being watched by every single person within your team, but also your competitors, whether that be the internal competitors or your external competitors, they're watching what you're doing. So you've got to be really intentional. So um, that's that's pretty much in a nutshell what I what I do with with the senior sales leaders. Um, it's exciting. It's uh, it's enlightening, and it's also doesn't surprise me at all because there are so many sales leaders out there that can't help themselves but want to get involved in the in the deal. They love doing the hunting. They want to do the they want to do the deals, and sometimes, unfortunately. They do what I call intermediate disintermediate their salesperson. So they start to create environments where their customers now want to deal with them. And that's what we need to prevent from happening. So um, it's really exciting. Love doing it. Um, get to work with people all over Australia, but also now also all over the world, which is uh, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, that's that's hopefully that wasn't too long and too long-winded. No, no, that's great. I imagine. I'm just reflecting on what you've said as you're finishing off that point. But I imagine, yeah, the the I mean, from my experience too, the more the they get involved and the temptation is there for the sales leaders to step in and, and handle it when any question comes up to their level, oh, I'll just take care of it from here. I, I assume yeah. that creates a bottleneck over time when the, the clients want to continue to deal with them directly. Well, it does. And the, the great thing I can say here, and and, and I don't want to sound, um, what's the Aussie term here? Well, I'll just say, I, I don't want to sound arrogant or self-obsessed but Never. i found this out i found this out the hard way and that is through experience so everything everything that i do everything i mentor and everything i teach has come from experience and come from the school of hard knocks so when i talk about sales leaders wanting to do the deal hey i got two hands in the air because as soon as i became a sales leader i'm thinking hey i know how to do this deal let me position this organization and myself and therefore hopefully my account manager in the right level at the organization. But what I found myself doing is doing the deal. And so what tended to happen, I was conditioning my team and my sales sales executives to allow me to do the deal, right? And I felt fantastic doing that. But I created what was called, what I call an environment of codependency where they were now dependent on me to do that. And I was also dependent on them to allow me to do that. So I felt great. We got the result. But when I sat down and realized that I've been doing this for, say, 12 months to two years, all of a sudden, I left the trail of destruction and my salespeople were not independent. So they're always reliant on me. Mm. And that was a massive, massive wake-up call for me because it wasn't it wasn't going to be the platform for sustainable success for my sales team because they were, I had to be there because if I wasn't, we wouldn't get the deals done, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you 100%. And I, I've seen that in organizations as well where, uh, there's someone is like the linchpin of the operation. And if they're sick or if they're out or if something happened, then the machine grinds to a halt, so yeah. to speak. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely not good. And and you're right. Healthy organizations have mechanisms in place to, to circumvent that and that people can still operate independently regardless of the situation to some degree. <laughs> Absolutely, because that's what you want. Because at the end of the day, and this is this is the danger that a lot of organizations have to face, because many organizations look at the scoreboard and they say, right, so Darren's team or Ryan's team, they're achieving their target. They're over budget. So as far as we're concerned, everything's fantastic. But if you lift the lid up a little bit and say, well, what are the behaviors? What are the processes we're following? What sort of environment's been created? You very quickly find out that 
yeah, we're getting great results, but they're not sustainable because we have to maintain a certain behavior. And that behavior is not conducive to sustainable success because people are not allowing being allowed to think for themselves, make their own calls, do their own deals, develop, grow, get outside the comfort zone, make mistakes, right? One of the biggest things I've ever learned around sales leadership is you've got to make mistakes. So when you've got a sales leader that wants to control everything and do all the deals, it's very hard to then make mistakes because if you do, you're then fearful of what's going to be the ramifications or the consequences. So I better just sit back and I'll just allow Ryan to do it because I know at least if Ryan doesn't get the deal, then it wasn't on me. Mm. If Ryan does get the deal, then maybe I'll get some sort of benefit that will rub off as well and I'll get some sort of recognition for it. It's it's flawed. It's flawed thinking, and it's not it's not sustainable. And yet, so many organisations allow that sort of behaviour to happen. Why? Because a lot of sales leaders are not given the blueprint. They're not actually given the right mentoring, the right coaching to understand what is your fundamental role at your core. And I've got to be honest, your role as a sales leader, as in managing of people, is not to cut the deal. Sorry, that might sound counterintuitive, but it's not there to do that. Mm-hmm. No, it makes sense. And I could totally, uh, 100%, I agree with you and see why people go with that flawed thinking. I mean, oftentimes, unfortunately, it's what they've seen when they were coming up. Um, or, and that's, that's, they just think, oh, this is how it's done. Right. And, and that's it. <laughs> they step in, but you're right. When you think about sustainable, like long-term solution, okay, if it's mm. a Band-Aid, you need to, to close the sale. Okay, I could see how someone would go to that. But long-term yeah. solutions, you want you know, to create more effective sales leaders. Like, you know what I mean? You you want to multiply. That, that's how you succeed, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you, you look at a sales leadership role, and I have this conversation all the time because I'll ask a sales leader, and they might be brand new to the sales leadership role, or they might have been in that role for, for a short period of time. I'll ask them the question, so what what is your core purpose? What what are you there to do, right? And it's it's so interesting to see the different answers. Some of them will say, well, I'm here to make sure we hit our numbers. I'm here to make sure that we we become the number one sales team in the country, number one sales team in the organization, whatever the case might be. Very few. And in fact, I would say it's under 5%. Turn around and say, my role as a sales leader is to identify other potential leaders in my team and help develop them to the point where they can become better than me so that my role is actually redundant. That is really what you're there to do. And yet under 5% actually get that. Because mm. when you do that, and just think about this for a second, right? If we're to have a sustainable business, you cannot have Ryan as a sales leader for the next 25 years. Mm-hmm. You might be a great bloke. In fact, we know you're a great bloke, right? I hope so. I, I try. <laughs> That's what that's saying. But you just think about the sustainability of the business. You're going to have people who are ambitious within your team. And also, you're going to have some that are not as ambitious. So I'm not saying that every single salesperson has to have a desire or a goal or a dream to be a sales leader. But my role as a sales leader is to identify those who do have the potential, have the desire, and do whatever I can to help them become better than me so that I become redundant in that role. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say that to people, sometimes they look at me sideways and say, what are you talking about? I can't afford to lose my job. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you will now leave a legacy that will go on well beyond when you're gone. But what will happen is you'll now be recognized either by the organization or by somebody else within the industry as a reputable sales leader who is underpinning growth and sustainability. So you'll get opportunities. You'll always get taken care of. 
And it's an attitude shift. And that's that's where I do a lot of the work because too many sales leaders are focusing on, I've got to get the number, got to get the number, got to get the number. Said, okay, the number's important, but just put that to the side for a second. What we've really got to focus on is who do you have on your team? How can you develop your team to the point where you can actually create more leaders who, by the way, is enabling you to be leveraged and duplicated? Yeah, it, it it's simple but not easy, right? But it, it's not. It's only not easy because, in my opinion, and again, in my experience, sometimes, uh, well, one is a little bit of ignorance. People just simply aren't aware, like we discussed. But another, you know, egos get in the way sometimes. There's a lot of competing interests. But I agree with you that the sales leader and any kind of leader, really, frankly, your job should be to be a force multiplier. That's and, it. And the brand, your reputation grows, like you said, that gets recognized elsewhere. It's not that's confined to your current role. Yeah. And, and I worked a lot in Silicon Valley, in the Bay Area, in California. It's very competitive out there. And, yeah. you know, like if you're doing a great job at Airbnb, guess what? You know, Google's trying to bring you over to them. Like, it's just how it works. The, the companies are all so close together and they they know who's working with who and, and they hear what kind of a job you're doing. And yeah, we can yeah. use someone like that. That's... Yeah how you know kind of the the cookie crumbles oh absolutely and the the counter to that is you might have people and i think you mentioned it before where people are put into positions based on maybe performance but they don't necessarily have the capability so one of the challenges we have in a lot of organizations i think this is globally a, a bit of an issue is you have people in say chief revenue officer positions and not being disrespectful to that sort of role but in senior executive roles who perhaps have never carried the bag of sales. And so what they think about in terms of sales is just deliver the number, right? We have the best product, we have the best service, so just focus on the number. So the attitude and the focus is all Mm number-centric. And as a sales leader, particularly one who wants to develop their team, it can be a very difficult balancing act between keeping, I guess, the senior executive sometimes at bay But also, what sort of messaging do we actually give them to the point where we give them a level of comfort that we've got the numbers under control, we've got enough strategy in place and enough pipeline in place to deliver the numbers that the business needs, but also give them the sense of, hey, I'm developing and I'm developing my people for the the mid to the long term so that this company is going to be in a very, very strong position, not just for the next 12 months, but for the next five, 10 years. And that's often a balancing act because the pressure, particularly as you get to the end of a quarter, end of the month, and certainly the end of the financial year, it comes down and it's like, and I remember back when I was at Telstra, one of the big Australian organizations here in, in Australia, and it's um there was this cadence meeting that started off as being a fortnightly. The closer we got to the end of the quarter, it became weekly, then it became daily. And I would sit in meetings with other sales leaders and sales directors and the expectation was from today until tomorrow, there must be some sort of miracle happening because we expect your numbers to go up. And so a complete waste of time. And and this is what I'm saying. These senior executives had, with respect, absolutely no idea. Mm-hmm. All they saw was the number. And they were drinking the company Kool-Aid to say, hang on, we've got the best product. Why aren't customers falling over themselves just to purchase our products? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a whole host of reasons for that. And maybe we're not competitively priced. Maybe we don't have the right solution. Maybe we don't have the right people in place. So there's this massive, massive amount of competing pressure that a lot of sales leaders face. And in 2023, this is just getting better, uh, sorry, bigger because of pressure of performance, pressure of 
you know, cost of materials, supply chain issues, a whole host of things. Um, it's we've got to be different. We've got to do things different, and we've got to be patient. That that last part is key. I agree with you. Uh, patience is is important, and giving people space because a lot of times when we're talking about development, skill development, and professional development, and for people to learn the necessary skills to succeed. They need the time and they need the space. They need to be able to, you know, try, experiment, innovate, fail, learn from the failure. And, and sometimes, like you said, if they're under tight timelines and, and budgets and they're expected to hit the number, the failure is not an option, right? So they, they they go to the script or they go back to the default, which we've we've discussed as suboptimal. Let, let's say absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's not good. All right, something you mentioned earlier, Darren, right in your in your entry monologue. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but right, <laughs> in your, <laughs> but right in your opening, you mentioned something that kind of struck me, and you said that as a sales leader, you're you're kind of presenting all the time, like you're always in the public eye and in the eye of of your internal team and and whatnot, yeah. and they're watching your actions, and your actions are a reflection of your thoughts and your approach to things, and. Until you bring it to their attention, do you find that there are not saying most, but many sales leaders are unaware of it? <laughs> yeah, I've got to be careful here because what I what could come out of my mouth is <laughs> it could be a gross generalization. Oh, let it rip. <laughs> here's what here's what I think. Um there are so many there are so many sales leaders, irrespective of, and I, I see this particularly in the top end of town, right? In the big corporate and government sort of areas. There are so many sales leaders that are walking around. They're wearing they're wearing costumes. They're wearing they're 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 in character, right? They are uh, inauthentic, and I say that respectfully, but I also say that really intentionally because they are not bringing their authentic self to the situation, right? They are trying to, as much as they possibly can, blend in with the organization. They're trying to be people who they think they need to be in the environment that they need to be that in that person so as to be, quote, unquote, successful. Mm. So this points directly at the heart of a thing called emotional intelligence. Now, I do a lot of EQ work with a lot of organizations, and one of the things that I say to many organizations is, again, as a generalization, most executives and most uh, certainly sales leaders uh, have a lot of work to do in a thing called self-awareness and secondly in social awareness as well. So um, the mark of, of of a great sales leader in my view, and I can only go by my own experience and the people that I've worked with over the last say 10, 10 years or so, is that if you meet a sales leader in a corporate boardroom, if you meet that same same sales leader at a sales conference, if you meet them for a coffee, if you meet them and walk through and have a water cooler conversation, what you'll see is the same person in every single environment. They don't have to be pretend to be anybody that they're not. They are genuine. Their language is the same. And this is the other thing that really annoys me is some of these sales leaders, and it's not just sales leaders, it's just people in general in, in big corporates, they start to talk a language that they would never really use in the in mm. in real in real life, right? Some of these words that people come up with, I've got to ask. What the hell does that mean? Like in, in Telstra, where I used to work, there's this term called the operating rhythm. So every single meeting you had to go to, it was almost like, well, what is the operating rhythm we are getting to? Which is, hey, simple as how we're going to do business. So um, one of the things I do I do work with sales leaders on is how to bring their authentic self out 
which means they need to know what they stand for. They need to know what, what's important to them. What are their values? And don't pretend to be somebody who you're not and don't bow to anybody who you think is more important than you. Just be you. Because at the end of the day, wearing a mask, wearing a costume, wearing some sort of character, I don't know about you, Ryan, but it's just tiring. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to do it. And I got to the stage where I thought, you know what, this is far too much. Because at the end of the day, I was mentally and physically fatigued because mm-hmm. I had to try and mind what I was saying. I, I need to be really clear on what words I was going to use, not going to use, what sort of tonality I had to use. How do I have to look at this person? What was my physiology needing to be in this particular environment? And I said, with you know, great respect, effort, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be me. And if that's not good enough, then that's not good enough. Maybe I'm in the wrong environment. But if I do become who I really want to be on the inside and, and live with intention, then guess what? Chances are I could become more successful. And this is the thing. I became more consistent. Mm. And I didn't have to make excuses for who I was. I can have authentic conversations. And what started to happen is people around me in my environment started to have better conversations with me. And the quality of those conversations went up, which meant the quality of the relationships went up. And a funny thing happened, the quality of the results started to flow as well, and they started to go up. And I started to drive some consistency and some sustainability. So one of the things I always talk about with leaders now is just be yourself. But we've got to identify who are you and what's important to you. And don't pretend to be somebody who you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how we got under that, but I'm sure that's relevant somewhere. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll patch it in there. No, (laughs) But yeah. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, like I said, I, as you're talking, I had an experience, I had a flashback of, I was brought in to consult with this one company in uh, in New York, and I was walking with uh, an executive leader on the team, and we were walking and talking, and I think it, it might have been because I was there or not, I'm not really sure, but someone crossed paths with them, and they said, you know, hey, Jim, how did your son's baseball game go this past weekend? And as Jim's answering, we just kept, wa- he just kept walking. And I'm, I'm in my, I was like, is this really happening? I was thinking like, you're not going to at least turn and, and talk to him. Right. And it was, I, we had to have that discussion afterwards, but like you said, that's, that's not how to build a relationship. That's signaling that this is not worth me stopping to talk to you about, which the message being received is I'm just, like you said, wearing a mask, being just the person I need to be. So I'm saying, Hey, I asked Jim how his day was type of thing. Not actually yeah. had a, or yeah. how his son played baseball. I wasn't actually engaged. And that's the thing. It maybe it sounded like so he didn't he didn't stop. He just kept walking. So maybe he had to maintain a certain um, persona in that particular environment. I think he was expecting a uh, like, oh, it went well, and that was going to be the end of it. But but Jim was like, well, you know, and he kind of went in, and then it was that was he did that was not accounted for before the question was asked. You know what I mean? <laughs> and when that happened, there was no course correction. It was just we've decided we're going through. We're just going to keep walking. It's um it's an interesting point. And the thing that the thing that and this doesn't just apply to sales leaders, any leader needs to be aware of this, is that we're always creating impressions and we're always conditioning other people on how to deal with us. So how you deal with a situation like that can leave a lasting impression to the person who engaged with you for that question or for that comment. Mm-hmm. And even though we might think that's an incidental sort of thing, or I might be busy, I brushed it off, or I didn't want to talk as in depth. For that other person, that actually creates an impression in their mind about whether I'm engaging or not in that particular moment. And that, for many people, can be long-lasting. So the next time they engage with me, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, oh, the last time I asked that that question to Ryan, or the last time I went to engage with Ryan, 
he kind of gave me the impression of I was not important enough or he was too busy. So therefore, I need to be conscious of that the next time I ask a question. So we start to build some layers versus, uh, you know, if you've got time, if you'd be present, I say this all the time, that the greatest gift you can give any one of your people in particular is the gift of your attention, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be in the environment and somebody comes up to you, then show a genuine interest, right? Mm -hmm. And what's how hard is it and what cost is it to sit down and have a two-minute conversation with somebody, but for that two minutes, be present with them, right? Mm -hmm. Just imagine the impression that's going to create. It has to be genuine though, right? Because I know a lot of leaders that say like, let's go and do the royal visit. I'm going to go and walk the floor. The royal visit. And then I'm going to go back to the uh, office and and tend to my rubber plants. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't work. So be visible because there are so many leaders that that they just manage and lead by absence. They're stuck in their office. They're working on strategy. They're managing upwards. They're not, they're not being in amongst their team, helping their team, empowering their team, just being present with their team because that is where, that's where the, the magic happens. It really does. Oh, well, thank you for that, Darren. And the, uh, the, the segue to the communication component, not that we haven't been integrating communication, but, but tell us a little bit in your line of work and in your experience, how important is being an effective communicator to a sales leader and even for yourself, maybe you could speak a little bit about, and have you ever seen it gone wrong? <laughs> um, how long is this? Again, this is not a three hour Joe Rogan sort of podcast, right? So um, has it gone wrong? Yes, it's gone wrong. Uh, I do a lot of facilitation. I do a lot of workshops. Uh, I do a lot of one-on-one stuff. Uh, I've had, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of times when things have gone wrong, right? It could be that I've said something wrong or I've misread the room. Um, at, a, at a high level, communication is everything, right? Because what are we as, as human beings? We are made to communicate. We're connectors, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the challenges we have is we often will communicate in a language and in a method that is comfortable for us. Uh now, I, I did a, a workshop a couple of weeks ago with a bunch of analytical, um, let's just say analytical introverted individuals, and it was a leadership program, okay. right? I spent okay. a whole day. Now, I years ago was introverted. Now I'm completely the opposite. Um, and my method of communication normally is, as you know, through the, through the podcast, and probably as you know through this, it's probably organic. Let's fly by the seat of our pants and... What will happen will happen. I've got no notes here, so we'll just go where we need to go. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to be so prepared because every single, almost every single component of the training needed to be planned because they were analyzing everything I did. Uh -huh. And I had to adjust my communication. Now, that's frustrating for me because what I like to have is I like to have interaction, right? When I run workshops, I don't want them to be watching TV because that's just one way. That's just uh, receiving information and it's an information transfer, not necessarily information uh, absorption. So where communication can go wrong is if we continue to communicate in the way that we are um, inclined to or we are comfortable to. Okay. A great leader is a person who is paying all their attention on, in my case, workshops, the audience. So I'm actually paying attention to people's body language. I'm paying attention to what their voice does in terms of what sort of resonance, what sort of high pitch, what sort of language do they use? Do they ask closed questions, open questions? And what I've got to do is start to match that 
so that I can build a connection really quickly. Because mm-hmm. at the heart of communication is rapport building, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a bit, if you can build rapport, then you've got a connection. When you've got a connection, anything's possible to go over that that connection. Yes, you've got to manage what your content is, but the biggest thing is how do I build a connection with these people as quickly as possible so that whatever message I have to convey has a high probability of being taken on board, absorbed, and most importantly, implemented. Um, but there's so many times when this doesn't go right. And it could be you're saying the wrong word or you've got the wrong context. Or have you ever had this where you're going into a session and you know exactly what you want to talk about, but you get up onto the stage and everything just goes blank? <laughs> I think everyone has at some point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what you do in that moment is critically important in terms of how well the, the session is going to go. Now, I've got to the point where I've done so many workshops now, I'll have what I call a brain fart in the middle of a session, right? And I'll say something like, well, Ryan, what was I, what I, was, what I was about to say there uh, was absolutely extraordinary. I have no idea what it was because it just escaped my mind. But <laughs> mark my words, it was absolutely unbelievable. Now, when I remember it, I will blurt it out and I might be in the middle of a sentence, but I'll remember it and I'll give it to you. Now, I can do that now because I'm more comfortable with being able to communicate and I'm not I'm not there thinking about how I'm being judged or not judged. If I had have said that in my first workshop, I would not have actually continued. I would have actually packed up and left the room because <laughs> of of uh, this is it's not what you're supposed to do, right? Mm. So what I'm trying to do there is with people who are, and particularly if I'm doing a sales training or a pitching training and negotiating some sort of influencing training, I'm trying to show them that it's okay to make mistakes. When you make a mistake though, what you do then straight after will often be the key lesson, right? Yes. Now, if you can make a mistake and recognize that, own it and be okay with it, then most people will also say, because I'm giving them permission to also do the same thing. You don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Even in a really uh, a really structured environment, you can still make mistakes and still recover from those. That is communication. So it's not so much what I say, it's how I say it and what I do after I make a mistake that communicates such a powerful message because it gives permission to say, it's all right to get it wrong. We're going to move on anyway. Why? Because we're not perfect. We're all human. And that, for a lot of, for a lot of them, builds a deeper connection with me, which means trust and credibility goes up because it says to them, hey, I don't have to be perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. It's all good. Let's move on. Yeah, I was going to agree. I agree with you. And I was just going to to piggyback on that or to put an exclamation point on that point. That's a lot of what I do in the, in the presentation training world. It, it, that approach is extremely effective because it's also showing them that like you said, building a connection and they're seeing someone who's professional, who's well-spoken, who also had a moment of, they forgot and yeah. they're rolling with the punches. They're going to make the best of it. So yeah. if it happens to them, it's like, well, then I can do that too. It's almost like giving permission by extension. Yes. Yeah. And by virtue of that, what are we doing in a presentation? We're actually communicating, right? So when, and you might find this as well, when you, when you got people doing presentations for the first time, they're absolutely shitting themselves, right? <laughs> they're thinking I'm being judged. Yeah. Jeez, I, hope, I hope my fly's not undone. I hope I don't have boogers in my nose and how I hope I sound okay. People need to realize, and I say, I, and I share this with leaders all the time that it's not about you. If you make it about you, and that is if you're worried about what to say, if you're worried about how the, 
how your words are going to be interpreted, then you're in your head, right? Yeah. And if you're in your head, you're doomed because yeah. you can't build rapport. You've got to think about what is the message that these people need to hear. So if you can be genuinely, and, and this you can't fake this, you need to be genuinely interested in the person you're having a conversation with. You need to be genuinely interested in the team you're actually having a conversation with or you're presenting to. And when you are interested in them and you make it all about them, it actually takes pressure off you to have to get the words right. And you just trust that, you know what, the words they need to hear, the message they need to hear will come through just by you being that and being focused on them. Because an interesting thing happens, Ryan, and and I'm sure you found this out as well, that when you become interested in another person, you start to ask questions and you start to frame your language in a way that makes it about them. Now, most people love talking about themselves. Let's just put it out there, right? Through that process, you actually become very interesting to that person and you become interesting to that crowd. So I've lost count of the number of presentations I've been to where the presenters got up and said, hey, let me tell you about all the things that I've done. Let me tell you about how successful I've become, right? And you're sitting there going, Mm -hmm. but if you come in and give maybe a two-minute overview of what you are to establish a level of credibility and then make it all about the, the audience, all of a sudden you become interesting to that audience because you're talking about them. You're making it about them. That, my friend, and that for your listeners has to be the art of communication because if you can do that, you can be unstoppable. Love it. Love it. All right, Darren, we're coming to the end here, and I always ask every guest this question, so I got to ask you, think about an 18, 19-year-old Darren. What message would you give to that person if you had the opportunity now? Don't, Don't go and do an engineering degree. Please elaborate. <laughs> Actually, no, I would I would say do the engineering degree because that's where I met my wife. So if I didn't do that, I would never be – I actually probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, okay. The okay. advice I would give an 18 and 19-year-old, um, realize it's not about yourself. Don't take yourself so seriously. Don't try to get everything right. Make as many mistakes as you possibly can, but learn from it. But – get a coach or a mentor as early as you possibly can to give you guidance, to learn from somebody who's been there, right? Mm. Um, It wasn't until I was probably, oh, the other one, listen. Ask questions and listen. Because it wasn't until probably in my mid-20s when I started to realize that, A, what my dad was banging on about all those years up until 21 he was actually right, but <laughs> I was too too stubborn to say, yeah, yeah. dad, you were right. Um, but thankfully, before he passed, I got I got to have that conversation with him and and say, yep, you know, all that all that advice you gave me, dad, you were right, right? So I had humble pie, but there was a it was a big lesson there for me. But really to ask questions and listen, right? Because you don't know everything. And at at early 50s where I am now, looking back and thinking, my God, if I if I knew now. If I knew back then what I know now, how things would be different. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of that, I think, well, I wouldn't change anything either because I am where I am and we're only getting started. So uh, so at that age, and I say this all the time to younger kids as well, um, ask questions, but actually listen. But think about the quality of the questions you're going to be asking. Right? Don't ask the, the the high level, surface level questions or how do I become successful, right? Mm. Ask better questions and think about, okay, what does it take to be successful in terms of your thinking, 
your thought patterns? What's the strategy you go through? What do you do on a day? What does your diary look like in an average day, right? All those deeper questions that give you might be maybe some insights in terms of how some people become successful, but also how some people are not successful. So um, role modeling is a big one. So look for some people you can model, not so much copy, but also look for people who are not a great example and then start to start to build your own your own philosophy around that. Wow, that was great. I asked for for one. You gave us like five or six little nuggets of wisdom there. I, I appreciate I just that. Can't help. I just can't help it, mate. I just I just talk. <laughs> you just you're just made to give. That that's that's what that's what I'm gonna tell people about you when they ask what's Darren Mitchell like? He's made to give. Okay, so Darren, host of the Exceptional Sales Sales Leader Podcast and a sales leadership coach and mentor yourself. If the listeners out there, folks want to get in touch with you, or if they want to keep up with you and follow you, where where can they go? Where where can they get in touch with you? So uh, similar to you, our podcast, the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast, is on all reputable podcast platforms and also a couple of dodgy ones. So if, you, if you're listening to the dodgy ones, you'll probably find it there as well. Uh, the other best place is uh, LinkedIn. So just look up my name, Darren Mitchell on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. Um, I am getting a new website built, and it's going to be the exceptionalsalesletter.com. So uh, eventually that'll be done, but that's not ready to go yet. But um, probably best best thing is just uh, LinkedIn at this stage. So Happy to connect. And um, yeah, if anybody wants to listen to some Aussie bang on and listen to a Canadian who was on the podcast not long ago, talking yeah. about all things presenting, being the effective presenter, then the Exceptional Sales Leader is the place to go. All right, my friend. Thank you again so much for coming on. I'll give you the last word here before we close out. Any uh, final message? Uh, final message, man. Um from a from a communication point of view or from from pitching or from anything whatever you feel is most valuable okay so give just be a giver right and and be a giver with no expectation of anything in return there are too many people out there who give as a transaction thinking that they're going to get something in return or wanting something in return if if it's the right thing to do, which means you've got to you've got to value people, um, give and that could be give of your time, give of your um, advice, give your experience. Um, sometimes give give your money, uh, but give because if you give with no expectation in return, you'll always be taken care of. Um, and just imagine how good it feels to do that to help another person. That's 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 what I that's I guess that's what my philosophy is. Fantastic. Darren Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on. I speak for my listeners as well. Thanks, Ryan. Absolute uh, absolute pleasure. And it's uh, good to see you again. Oh, always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, to all you listeners out there, we wish you success in your future speaking endeavors. 